I'm so glad that I'm able to be here with you today and to share with you in God's Word. As Josh mentioned to you, I am a cradle Presbyterian. I've been Presbyterian all my life, and I came to Imago because when I retired here in Peoria, I, I wanted to be part of a community where the people are so engaged in the life of the community. I'm so impressed about, it seems like every single person that I've met or see or experience here is able to say something about their faith and what that matters to them in their life and how their lives have been touched by God. And it's just so refreshing to be in a community that's this way. My, my goal in retirement is to spend my life doing things that bring me joy. And so I'm worshiping here with you because not only do I love Josh and really appreciate him as a friend as he's been these last few years, but to be able to be in this community as well. So it is good to be here with you today. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse our thoughts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Amen. It was a hot summer. The temperature had been above 90 for days at a time. And for three days in a row, he went out and mowed. He mowed and he mowed. He mowed the ditches. He mowed the farmyard. He mowed all around day after day. And on the third day, when he finally fell off the mower and lay on the ground unable to move, the paramedics found as they picked him up and took him into the ambulance that not only did he have on that flannel long sleeve shirt and trousers that he, they could see, but that underneath it, when they cut his clothes away, they saw that he also had on another full set of a long sleeve shirt and long pants and a set of long johns underneath that as well. His wife had died the previous July, and his drive to stay alive for her, to take care of her until death did them part, had ended in the cemetery. It had ended at her graveside in Brown Cemetery. He was done. He was ready to go. He was waiting every day for God to call him home, and he'd been waiting almost a year now, and he was tired of waiting. He was tired of God dragging this out. And so he decided to hurry God along a little bit, and he put on three layers of clothing, and he went out in 90-degree weather, and he mowed for three days straight under the blazing sun. But you know, old farmers... They are tough, and they're as tough and gnarled as those stumps that they burn out of the yards. It might take them years to burn them out. And his prayer did not come true. He did not die. Not then. Now, he also, which I don't think he anticipated, didn't get to come home again from the hospital either. His daughter-in-law sent him to a nursing home because she could no longer trust him, of course. She had him sent to a place where he would be fed and hydrated, bathed and watched every minute of the night and day. So then he 
He just stopped eating. He stopped eating. It took him another four months to die. But he finally got what he was after. I have to tell you, he broke my heart. I had been his pastor for about five years by that time, and we had covered a lot of ground together. And now in the fading days of his earthly existence, he could not stand having me come to visit him. As to him, when I walked into the room, I was a living reminder of God to him. And God had betrayed him. He was full of rage over his unanswered prayer. And so this old man, 96 years old, who up until that time had been in church every Sunday of his life, turned his face away from God and died alone. And there was no funeral scheduled. He had spent his life trying to be good. And all he knew in the end was that God failed to be good to him in return. He felt he had to manage on his own then, at the end of his life. Now, when Josh first told me that the pastoral team had decided to do a sermon series between Easter and Pentecost this year on the theology of body, he said that one week we'd be focusing on aging. And the pastoral team all thought it would be really great if I was willing to preach on the topic. Now, why is that, Josh? Come on, come on. Are we not open and affirming here? Okay. Okay. Now you can blame it on Melinda. She's not here, right? Of course, neither of us could know that our bot, my body, was also going to provide us a great visual, a living demonstration on aging this morning. Since I did do something really foolish the week after Easter, and I haven't bounced back the way I would have 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. I'm glad to be here, though, today in worship with you, to be able to be in this space with my fellow Amagans. And along with the invitation to preach came some popcorn thoughts to flesh that out. Perhaps we could reflect on both the challenges and the gifts of aging, the difficulty that comes with changing abilities and the loss of some agency over our body's shape and abilities. How aging often forces us to go from independence to dependence, getting a hand to get up the stairs, decisions being made not on our own anymore, but sometimes with or even by others. So all in all, this has really turned out to be a far slipperier assignment than I imagined it was when I first said yes. And so I find that where I finally landed for today is not on some bullet points of great advice for you on aging. If that's what you're here for, you might as well quit listening right now. For in that serendipitous way the Spirit has of working within us with sighs too deep for words, I've ended up with a reflection instead to share with you and what keeps me eager? What keeps me eager to live life as fully as possible and to embrace the inevitable changes of aging that come as part of that package? It's pretty simple, really. 
I believe with all of my heart that in life and in death, we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We trust in one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. Now, in studying the commentaries on Psalm 90, we find that our psalmist believes much the same thing. Our psalmist trusts in the Holy One of Israel. Further, our psalmist knows that God is intensely interested in our lives and remains engaged with us at all times. In fact, even when we don't feel it, God is turned on us, looking at us, paying attention to us, indeed counting every hair on our heads. Intuitively, the psalmist knows what it took the theologian John Calvin some 1,600 pages to say millennium later, which is this. One God's plenty. One God. And that's who you and I have business with our whole lives long. One God's plenty. That's all we need is one God. And that's who we have business with our whole lives long. We remember that Psalms often begin in giving us some helpful guidance by telling us who's credited with the authorship of the Psalm or maybe something about the content that lies ahead. So, for instance, at the beginning of Psalm 51, it says the uh, Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he went into Bathsheba. That sets the stage for us. And Psalm 90 has a header in the same way. We see nowhere else in that book a superscription or title. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's the only psalm that's credited to Moses. It's also the first psalm in book four of the five books of Psalms. It serves as a hinge between what has been said in the previous 89 songs in those previous three books of 89 psalms and what is yet to come in the next two many scholars agree that these 150 psalms are arranged in the bible for us now into these five books the books one and three share one theme the anticipation of the crisis of the exile during which the people of God, when they are carried into slavery in the land of Babylon, lose their three most fundamental, foundational, cherished institutions. Remember what they lose? They lose the temple, don't they? They lose the land, and they lose the monarchy. Wow. Their identity's been all wrapped up in that. And so now the people of God are required to come to some new understanding of God and how they exist under and with God. And this crisis, this crisis is what is first addressed in Psalm 90 in answer to the questions that arise in Psalm 89 right before. All these questions, and they're further answered in other Psalms found in books 4 and 5. So we heard how Psalm 90 begins, right? 
It begins with God's wonderful generative powers in creation. Lord, you have been our help generation after generation. Before the mountains were born, before you birthed the earth and the inhabited world, from forever in the past to forever in the future, you are God. And then it describes our place within creation. You return people to dust, saying, go back, humans, because in your perspective, a thousand years are like yesterday past, like a short period during the night watch. You sweep humans away like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In short, God creates, gives birth to this world, calls it good, and then sets us into creation to be God's glad and faithful people. Yet we humans sometimes wonder, sometimes ask, what is our purpose? Does our life only have meaning in a few short moments and then it just fades away? As the psalmist has just said, but Moses, Moses offers us more. You know, Moses is so remarkable. Remember how when they're in the wilderness and they're camped out in the wilderness, they'll be in the, in the camp. And then outside the camp, they set the tent of meeting, right? And Moses will go out of an evening to the tent of meeting and then the pillar of cloud moves to the entrance of the meeting. And Moses is there in the, in the tent. And he talks to God. He speaks to God as a man speaks with his friend, face to face. So Moses, the friend of God, asks of God next, teach us to number our days so that we can have a wise heart. The request is not that we be kept in our place by recognizing how finite we are. Rather, the request is that we be taught to accept our allotted time on earth as, as a gift. Just as the manna, the bread of heaven, is to be collected day by day, only in the amount needed for that day, and then one day extra right for the Sabbath. So too, day by day, we are to collect the manna of our lives. We are to accept our very lives as a gift, which we then entrust daily to God. In this way, we gain a wise heart. And physical death is no longer an existential problem. Human transience, the, the reality of death as part of God's plan, becomes in not an occasion for despair, but an opportunity for prayer. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. This 
is Moses' prayer for all generations. This is Moses' prayer for you and for me. It's simple, really, but it's not always simple to embrace, is it? I grew up in the church. I loved being part of a faith community. I continued to go to church as I was in college, and then when I was 19, my father died of a massive heart attack. I was so angry with God for not saving my father's life in that moment. I stopped going to church. I showed God. I stopped going to church and spent the next 14 years running my own life and any other life around me that I could, or at least imagining that I was doing so. Yep. <laughs> imagining I was doing so. Separated from a recognition. Separated from a recognition that life is a gift. It's just, it's just a pure gift. Received day by day. Sufficient for the day. And so the farther I traveled on that desolate path for 14 years, believing I could manage my life just fine. Thank you very much. The sadder and emptier I became until at last, exhausted by my own efforts, I turned. I turned back to God, saying, I need you. I cannot be alone. And the one who answered my earlier efforts at bartering with silence and offered no defense to the charge that my choice was not God's choice when Daddy's heart failed embraced me in that moment. And I, in fact, have never been alone. <laughs> because in life and in death, I belong to God. The band can start to come back up if you want. The next fall, I was in seminary. And time does not allow to tell of the adventure since because I know there's a Honduras mission trip meeting after church. Plus, we've got to clean up the yard, right? So we're not going to tell all those stories now. But I will tell you that sometimes I backslide and try to run the world, which is still not working for me, hard as I try. Sometimes I even offer to take charge of the world just in case God's looking for an agent and maybe wants a rest, but I never get the job. But mostly, mostly, by fits and by starts, detours and astonishments, I grow a little bit more, just a little bit more, into becoming who God dreams of me being. Very simply, at least I know now who I belong to. And I know who is with me. Nowhere, in any place or time or scripture, nowhere are we ever promised perfection in our lives, be it death, which comes exactly when we ask for it, or death warded off when we prefer it not to happen, or anything else, nowhere, anywhere in Scripture are we promised 
perfection. What are we promised? We're promised God with us. Presence. Not perfection. God with us through thick and thin. The questions of why that well up within us never seem to get answered. Yet the question of how uh, is, when we ask how, how am I going to live through these next five minutes? How am I going to go into this room and sit with these parents who have just lost their child? How do we walk this path? that's before us in the moment that seems dark and drear and scary. How do we do it? How, God, tell me how. And I find that God answers that question with grace and mercy, faithfulness and steadfast love. So how do I remain eager? to live life as fully as possible and embrace the inevitable changes of aging as part of that package. I've found that when life is accepted as a gift, as a gift, and entrusted daily to God, then a heart of wisdom begins to grow. Presence, not perfection is the promise. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.